0: Hey everybody, John M. here with Sober Speak. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, Just a quick note here before we begin the actual interview with Spencer T. of The Recovery Show. And that is, uh, we tried some new technology. Uh, It didn't work quite as well as we were hoping it would. So the interview still runs well and you can understand everything. uh, But the uh, audio is a little bit uh, inconsistent. And we will be back to pristine audio next week. So here we go with Spencer T of The Recovery Show. Enjoy listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Sober Speak. At Sober Speak, you will find podcasts of men and women sharing their experience centered around the Alcoholics Anonymous 12 Steps of Recovery. In this particular case today, it's going to be the Al-Anon 12 Steps of Recovery, but you will see what I'm talking about. More will be revealed. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic and I will be the host of this episode. Consider Sober Speak, if you will. Your meeting between Meetings. We don't really want to replace meetings, but we can supplement for when you're not able to get to meetings. We welcome all of your comments and you can contact us in a couple of different ways. You can go to SoberSpeak.com and simply click on the contact us tab, or you can email us directly at feedback at SoberSpeak.com. We not only welcome your feedback, but highly encourage it. SoberSpeak is a self-supporting organization through our own contributions. We are not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. We do not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorse nor oppose any causes. Please remember, we do not speak for any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Please take what you want and leave the rest at the curb. So, We're going to take a little bit of a uh, turn here today, Uh, as I mentioned right on the beginning of the podcast, where we sure experience strength and hope around the Alcoholics Anonymous 12 Steps of Recovery, but I have my friend Spencer T. on the program today, and he is a member of Al-Anon. And uh, I'm going to ask him, first off, to read something. I I asked him to bring along something that he thought would be special to him. And Spencer, I'm going to turn it over to you now, let you read whatever you want to read, and then comment on it if you'd like to tell people why it's special to you.
1: Thanks, John. This is the suggested Al-Anon welcome. This is read at many Al-Anon meetings at the beginning. We welcome you to the Al-Anon family groups and hope you will find in this fellowship the help and friendship we have been privileged to enjoy. We who live or have lived with the problem of alcoholism understand as perhaps few others can. We, too, were lonely and frustrated, but in Al-Anon we discovered that no situation is really hopeless and that it is possible for us to find contentment and even happiness whether the alcoholic is still drinking or not. We urge you to try our program. It has helped many of us find solutions that lead to serenity. So much depends on our own attitudes, and as we learn to place our problem in its true perspective, we find that it loses its power to dominate our thoughts and our lives. The family situation is bound to improve as we apply the Al-Anon ideas. Without such spiritual help, living with an alcoholic is too much for most of us. Our thinking becomes distorted by trying to force solutions, and we become irritable and unreasonable without knowing it. The Al-Anon program is based on the 12 steps adapted from Alcoholics Anonymous, which we try little by little, one day at a time, to apply to our lives along with our slogans and the serenity prayer. The loving interchange of help among members and daily reading of Al-Anon literature thus make us ready to receive the priceless gift of serenity. Beautiful. I picked that because it was pretty much the first thing I heard when I Mm -hmm. came to a meeting. And there was some stuff in there that just, seemed th- those claims that seem outlandish been to enough open a talks to know that you have your own version of that the promises in the in the ninth step that it, you know are these extravagant promises well they, they felt like pretty extravagant to me
0: <laughs>
1: for example where it says we can find contentment and even happiness whether the alcoholic is still drinking or not well my alcoholic was still drinking and i really didn't think this was possible it just didn't seem possible at all and then there's that phrase about becoming irritable and unreasonable without knowing it. And I recognize now that I was irritable and unreasonable. I was quite irritable and quite unreasonable at times because I was trying to do something that was not possible for me to do, which was to get my loved one sober.
0: That, that's great. That's a uh, a beautiful reading there. And I'm glad to hear Alan on. And that's what it, the meetings are opened with. And and I know I've heard uh, that before, uh, either in open meetings or uh, Al-Anon meetings that I have been a part of in the past. Not too many, but I have gone to a couple of meetings. And I, I, w- I want to let people know at the, at the top of this podcast, uh, the history and why Spencer is actually on this program today. And that is because when I first started uh, this particular podcast, Sober Speak, back in January of 2018, I had absolutely zero idea of what I was doing, how to set some things up. But I started listening to various podcasts that I could find on the internet. And Spencer has his own podcast. It's called The Recovery Show. I'll let him talk about that in just a moment. It's, a, it's an Al-Anon podcast. And out of all the podcasts, all, all the recovery type podcast that I listened out there in the land. Spencer's was, from my perspective at least, by far, the most well done podcast out there. So you know, I've had uh, people ask me before, why don't you do more podcasts? I was like, well, let me just say this: if you're looking for something else during the week, here's another place you can go. Spencer's uh, it has some uh, great information. I listen to his podcast on a consistent basis. Maybe that says something about me, huh, Spencer? Maybe I should be in a Allen Arm room. But nonetheless, he did a great job. We kind of started some communication via email, and he's been very helpful and helping me get started, and encouraging. And so that's why Spencer is here today. So, first of all, Spencer, why don't you just real quickly at the top of this, tell them the name of your podcast, and just real briefly how to get hold of those podcasts. Sure. It's
1: called The Recovery Show. Pretty generic name, but it was an available domain name at the time we started the podcast. And it captures what we're talking about. We're talking about recovery, and we're focusing what we talk about on... Recovery in the Al-Anon program, but my experience is that once you get past the particular reason that you came to recovery, and once you get past step one, in other words, the rest of it is very similar. There's a lot of similarity in the way we work the program and the in the things that we do. You know, same same twelve steps, right? This is adapted, and it's adapted because we changed the founders of Al-Anon, I say we, but the founders of Al-Anon changed one word in step 12, where the AA 12th step says that you carry the message to alcoholics. In Al-Anon, we carry the message to others. Hmm. And that is the only difference in the steps, the way they're written. Now, what we're applying them to is a little different. So there's a lot of similarity there. And in fact, I started. The Recovery Show because of my experience co-hosting on another AA-focused podcast, which is called Recovered.
0: Ah, oh, didn't know.
1: Yeah. So I learned from Mark, who hosts Recovered. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we keep passing it on, right? Uh, so right. you were saying, how do you get there? It's therecovery.show or therecoveryshow.com. Both of those work. They'll take you to the same place. If you want to listen, you can listen right there. There's a uh, subscribe buttons on the page. There's also a contact page, which you can get to at the top of the page. There's a menu on a phone. There's a little label that says menu, and you tap on it, and it opens up. On a computer, it's right there, and there's a contact button or link in, in that menu, and that will take you to a page where you can get the phone number to leave a voicemail. There's an online voicemail service that takes a, a shorter message, but it doesn't require you to make a phone call, which sometimes it could be significant, I guess. And you can also send us email. I, I really like to hear people's voices. I always put the the voice options first. Most people send email.
0: Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm trying to think of what I, I... I've sent email to you so far, but I was more asking questions and such. So... All right. So I wanted to, you know, you know, obviously I hear you talking about a lot of subjects on that show. By the way, I highly encourage people to go to the recovery show and subscribe to that podcast. He absolutely does a fantastic idea. And Spencer does a lot of uh, what I would call deep dives on particular subjects. Does a very good job on it. Uh, He has other people on the program. He interviews them. But, you know, I'm always wondering when I'm listening to that, you know, hey, Spencer has a story as well. Right. So I reached out to Spencer and I wanted to 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 have him on my show and kind of talk about what is your story? You know, how did you get to this place? So uh, the first thing I want to ask is, you know, you made a reference there to uh, when you first came in and my alcoholic. I've always heard of that. I always think it's like a little pet. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, the, that they have on a leash. Hey, go, come here, little my alcoholic. But nonetheless, uh, so you 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 talked about your alcoholic. How long have you actually been in Al-Anon?
1: Okay, so I, I want to say a little bit about about terminology here about words that 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 show up in in the rooms, in the meetings, and and when we're talking, I will more often say my loved one because if I wasn't in a loving relationship with the person I wouldn't care and it wouldn't affect me unless I was in a hate relationship, I suppose, because of it. And, and that makes it, I think a little more personal and a little less, maybe pet. I also will say the alcoholic whose behavior brought me to Al-Anon. Yeah. Yeah. Again, recognizing that it's really, it's not so much about the alcoholism, it's not so much about the person, it's about the effect of their behavior on me, and the way I reacted to it. The other word that that I hate, that people <laughs> use a lot in, in Al-Anon, at least around here, is they talk about their qualifier. But their qualifier. Uh, what, is, what does that mean? So, we have traditions, like AA has traditions, Al-Anon has right. traditions, they're very similar. Tradition three says that the only requirement for membership is that there be a problem of alcoholism in a relative or friend. And so people are like, Oh, well this person qualifies me to be in Al-Anon.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. Gotcha.
1: gotcha. Yeah. I hate it. (laughs) I, I try really hard not to use that term. And I, I often (laughs) just sort of cringe when, when people say it, but they say it and I'm just like, okay, I can't control other people. That's why I'm in Al-Anon. (laughs) so (laughs) what happened? Yeah. So let's go back a bit. Yeah. I used to think this was the beginning of my story. And, and as I've been in recovery, I realized that the person who qualifies me to be an Al-Anon is me. Okay. Mm -hmm. At the, what, what felt like the beginning of the Al-Anon story for me, my, I will say my wife, because she's said, it's okay for me to say that my wife was struggling uh, with drinking. Uh, She recognized and and started trying to do something about a problem before I did really, or before I recognized it consciously because denial is a really strong force. Mm-hmm. So she had done various programs. she tried some moderate drink, a couple of different moderate drinking programs. She did one, two, three, I'm not sure outpatient programs.
0: And just so I know, Spencer, real quick, was this I mean, six months ago, six years, twenty years? Um
1: well I came into Alan in two thousand and two. Okay. So this is before that. Okay, right before okay, before that. Gotcha. So she's in she's she's in these outpatient programs and they always have a program for friends and family to come and learn about the disease and the effects of the disease on the family, et cetera, et cetera. And I was a good codependent, so I went. At some point during these sessions, they would inevitably say, and there is a program for you friends and family members. It's called Al-Anon, and you should check it out. Mm -hmm. My thought at that point was, hey, I'm not the person with the problem here. (laughs) She's the person with the problem. She needs to fix her problem, and then we'll be okay. All will be well. All will be well, yeah. You know, we'll be F-I-N-E, which uh, I certainly was. Fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and emotional, right? You're right. <laughs> okay. And and the other thing was those 12 steps, because they had things in them that just rubbed me or or scared me. In the wrong way. In the wrong way, yeah. So I wasn't going to do those 12 steps, and I wasn't the one with the problem. So we, we'll, we'll fast forward a couple of years to 2002, and she was at an inpatient program. She'd, she'd graduated from outpatient to inpatient at this point. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And I went to the friends and family day. It was a whole day too. At this one, it was like eight in the morning to four in the afternoon or something, as opposed to the other ones that I'd gone to, which had been like a Saturday morning or, or, or some evening or something like that. So they went in, I think they went into a little bit more depth. I don't know. Maybe I was just ready. You know how that happens, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've had that experience. Like you're ready. At some point, you're ready to hear the message. You're ready for for change. And I maybe I was just ready. But what I heard that day was that I didn't cause her alcoholism, that I could not cure her alcoholism, and that I could not control it. And you might think like, oh, that's horrible, because this is you know I wanted it to be fixed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what I heard was, and what I felt was relief. Like here was somebody like in authority or whatever, somebody who knew telling me that the thing I had been trying to do was not something I could do and, and effectively giving me permission to stop. Mm -hmm. And I felt this relief, but also I knew, damn, I'm miserable Good news, bad news. If we're not gonna fix her, how do I get less miserable? What do I do for myself? And that was when I heard and you know, understood that there was this program Alan on and it was for me. And I could I could get less miserable maybe. And it's like, well, what the heck? We'll give it a try. What do I have to lose? You know, a couple hours of my time, right? I can go to the meeting, discover it's nothing and go away.
0: Right, right, right. So it was a friends and family day in a treatment center. Somehow, some way it got through to you on that time. And that kind of started your I wouldn't say story, but that started your recovery process. Started and now recovery. you're saying now you're saying, Okay, I'm gonna give it a shot. So yep. you said I'm gonna give it a shot, then what next? Right, so I
1: identify that day as is what I call my surrender day. You know when I when I hit my knees.
0: So let me ask you a question because I've always wondered this, right? And I've no, and I and I'm sure I've asked this question before, but I know in Alcoholics Anonymous, right, we can pretty much measure yeah. <laughs> if you have sobriety, you got sobriety, right? If you're drinking, you're drinking. If you're not, you're not, right? Yep. And that's our sobriety day. And so you said you're. Surrender day. So uh, can a surrender day change, if you will? I, I
1: imagine it could for me, that was the beginning of a process that I, you know, I'm like one of those lucky alcoholics that goes to an AA meeting and it clicks right away. Right. Okay. I know people who are, who are in and out of the program and, and I think it's everybody's choice as to how they want to identify how long they've been in recovery when it's something that's not obvious. Right, right, I think it's it's when you commit, right?
0: Right, right. There are people, and, and here's how I can a little bit equate it, because I see people in AA who come in on a consistent basis, and then they haven't had a drink, but perhaps they're on – on the side, they're doing a marijuana maintenance program, or maybe they took a few too many pills or something like that. And so technically speaking, they could get away with saying that they're sober, but they come back in later and say, you know, I just can't live with myself inside. I'm starting over uh, and this is my new sobriety day. So in a way that could equate to a a surrender day. being. So
1: I, and I think I, I got that concept from another person who was in the, the meeting that was my home group for a long time, this person started coming maybe a couple of years before the date that she now identifies as her, her al birthday, if you will, her surrender date, because she was coming because one of her students told her she needed to come. This, this, this student was like, had gone through rehab for drugs and, and came and said, look, I was doing all this stuff and you had no idea And if you're going to continue in the position you're in, you really ought to go to Al-Anon and find out what's going on with you. And so she went, but it wasn't until the day that her husband came home, having been fired from his physician position for, you know, eating the prescription drugs or writing himself prescriptions or something. Mm -hmm. He got fired. Actually, I think he got arrested. And that's the day when she says, yeah, my, my knees hit the floor that day. And right. that's where she counts her, her al recovery from. Okay. So for everybody, it's different. And I suppose if I, if I decided, I don't see this happening, but if I decided the program's not for me, I don't need it. And then, you know, I came back around and, and tried to save another alcoholic and found myself on my knees again, I might have to update it. I don't know. It's right. a good question. Right.
0: Okay. So you get in, you have your surrender date, and then kind of take me forward from there. What happened? So that,
1: that night, I went to my first Al-Anon meeting. And the way I got there, I had a friend who had stopped drinking and and I thought was probably an AA. Uh, maybe I'd heard it from a mutual friend. And I called him up and I said, hey, um, do you know about any Al-Anon meetings? And he said, yeah. He said, there's a really good one. It's right around the corner from my house. It's tonight. I could take you and introduce you to some people. And I had to think about that. So I said, okay, I'll think about that. And I hung up and then like 30 seconds later, I called back and said, yes, please. Um, And so that night I went to my first meeting and I don't know what the topic of the meeting was. I don't know what people said, but somehow I knew that I was no longer alone Mm -hmm. because here was this room full of people who understood what was happening in my life, who understood what was happening in my, in my home. And this was stuff that I hadn't been able to talk about to anyone because
0: shame, fear, whatever, I don't know. So you had not been so, and, and, and to me, that's an important part of the story. Uh, So you, you had not been able to open up to uh, friends, families, ministers, whatever the case may be regarding this, at least not to any sort of deep level. It sounds like is that correct. Right. I think
1: almost a year earlier, 2001, we had gone to a cousin's wedding. Both he and his father are recovering alcoholics. So my uncle, right? And my uncle identified my wife's behavior as probably alcoholic, just seeing her at the wedding. Mm -hmm. And I guess spoke to my mother. And so... I remember having this conversation with my mother where she asked if my wife's drinking was affecting like her work or something and I snapped out some response like I hope not or I think not and made it very clear that I didn't want to talk about it. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that was as far as that conversation ever went.
0: Yeah, the body language and the tone tell everything. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll pick it up.
1: So, yeah, so I came to that meeting, and at the end of the meeting, I wasn't alone, and I felt a little better. And as a friend of mine in the program likes to say, that that feeling lasted probably till the parking lot. Right. (laughs) But it it was enough. It was enough that I came back the next week, and I came back the next week. For my wife, the the inpatient didn't take. I think she might have stayed sober, not drinking. There's a distinction there that I think you probably understand. For a couple of weeks, and then she started drinking again. Mm -hmm. She ended up going into a residential, long-term residential program. It was on the other side of the state, and I was driving over there once a week for, hey, friends and family day, right?
0: (laughs) It sounds so... You gotta do this thing, inviting. right? friends and family day, like you're going to a, an amusement park or something like that. <laughs> In a way, I guess it is. But And this yeah.
1: one, this was intense. They, they did this cognitive behavioral therapy with, you know, sort of confrontational and, and people would be carrying a rock around or something occasionally, you
0: know. Oh, like drop the rock.
1: And we had like group sessions and in-person sessions with a therapist and... Educational presentations about the disease of alcoholism and relapse and so on. It was, it was very thorough and I learned a lot from it. So she's on the other side of the state. I have two children at home, preteen children at home. Oh. My life got easier. <laughs> okay. Um, that's the impact of alcoholism on the family right oh. there. Right. My life's easier when, when the alcoholic's not there, even though I'm a single dad. But, but that's her story, and we'll leave her story to her story. Mm-hmm. I kept working the Al-Anon program. So I came in, and I knew I wasn't alone, and I came back because I wanted a little bit more of that. And I started to listen, and I started to hear what people were saying. And I started to see that here were people who maybe they were still living with their alcoholic like I was, but they weren't miserable. I'm like, well, how do you do that? How do you get there? And the answer, and you know the answer, right? It's go to meetings, read the literature, get a sponsor, work the steps. Mm -hmm. I'm like, "Um, okay. And this is where where actually steps two and three come into my life. Because when I came in, I was not churched. I didn't believe in God. Mm -hmm. Or maybe. I I really wasn't sure about that, and I did not want whatever – god there was control in my life i wasn't going to give that up right
0: you would describe yourself as either an atheist or an agnostic i would say probably
1: agnostic yeah
0: yeah
1: i mean i wasn't like hardcore atheist like there is no god I just like i'm not sure there is one and i'm not sure that if there is one he's going to do anything for me because i'd never seen any evidence of that right right okay
0: I used to tell people that um, atheism was it, it almost required too much effort. I had to be able to <laughs> argue my way out of it yep. if I was an atheist. If you're an agnostic, you could just kind of fly under the radar. Yep, yeah. I have a friend. Well,
1: he's dead now. He described himself as a religious atheist. He was religiously atheistic, right? Um, <laughs> it's a thing. Yeah, it's it is.
0: Thing. It is.
1: But what I what I had there and this is again this is some hindsight that i saw this process this go to meetings read the literature get a sponsor work the steps i saw this working for people mm. and i started to believe it could work for me and that is the essence of step 2 that there is something greater than me that can help restore me to sanity boom that is step 2 and by making a commitment to do those things that's step three,
0: right? Right. That's that's correct. So let me stop real quick on that piece, right? Because when you talk about sanity, right? So I know when in AA, from my perspective, and taking bits and pieces out of the book, sanity is an in, is in essence, you know, you put a... uh shot of whiskey down in front of me, then you put a bottle of water in front of me and I'm able to pick up the bottle of water versus the shot of whiskey. So, mm-hmm. right. And I, I know there are other pieces to, you know, behavioral pieces and all that sort of stuff, but I believe the the book is clear about it in that the sanity part is just where alcohol is concerned. In in the world of al when you think about sanity right being restored to sanity how does that manifest itself in an Alan world sure well one thing is I was a rageaholic
1: I had all this bottled up emotion anger frustration resentment you name it it was there and it it had no outlet hmm. it was it was not emotionally safe for me to let it out on my wife. Mm-hmm. It happened sometimes, but it was not emotionally safe for yeah. me. Uh, it came out on my children. It came out on my coworkers. Gotcha. I would scream at other drivers on the road, but they didn't know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but it affected me, right? Yeah. So that was part of my insanity was this rage that was in me all the time. And, you know, the kid would knock over a almost empty glass of milk and I would pound the table and scream at them. I had to make amends for that. Right. Yeah. And so that was part of my insanity. Another part of my insanity, you know, that, that, that definition of insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. I kept trying to do these things to, you know, somehow convince my wife that she needed to stop drinking and she would. And I kept trying things and they kept not working and I kept trying them again and again, because I didn't know any different, you know, pointing out the, the, the impact, you know, pointing out, oh, well, you left the, left the stove on because you just forgot that it was on Mm -hmm. that or slamming the wine bottles into the recycling bin. Because if I did it loud enough, clearly she would know there was too many, right? (laughs) I mean, that's my insanity
0: right okay so so that's what it looks like in your world so it's a matter of uh uh maybe when the kids spill the milk at this point we're able to back off take a deep breath and realize the world's not going to fall uh apart around us that would be restored to sanity in an Anon's world correct
1: yeah
0: Yeah. and
1: and i know that when we get further down the steps, we get to step 12, we practice these principles in all our affairs. We start finding recovery away from the substance, away from the the person that was the focus at the beginning of the program, right? Mm-hmm. We find sanity in lots of other parts of our lives where we didn't even know we were like being a little crazy.
0: Amen, brother. I get you there. Still happening. <laughs> All right. So you were, so, so you're to the point now to where you know you didn't cause it. You didn't, you can't cure it and you can't control it. Yeah. Yeah. And part of your experience of coming to believe we were talking about that. Uh, And then you're talking a little bit about the third step and I kind of slowed you down a little bit. Yeah. Tell me about the third step and your experience with that.
1: So the third step was a tough one for me because not having a God concept and then. And, and not wanting to give up control. And you can probably relate to not wanting to give up control. Mm-hmm. I had to come into it, I had to sort of back into it, right? My sponsor at the time said, fake it till you make it. You know, do the action and the belief will come. You know, act your way into right thinking. You may have heard that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: The other thing is that, and, and at this point I am, I'm working the steps with a group, seven or eight of us got together and said, we're going to meet once a week and we're going to work through the steps. We have one of our books, sort of, I guess, I don't know, it's sort of like the 12 and 12. It's got a chapter for each step, a chapter for each tradition. And at the end of each chapter, it's got questions. So, there's like a workbook component to it as well. And so, we would meet once a week and we would go through the ways in which each of us had answered those questions. And we, it took us two years to get through all 12 steps. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah, <laughs> we were thorough. Yeah, very thorough. <laughs> so, and, and here's another question I have for you as, as you're rolling along here. And that is, I've heard you even uh, reference this on your podcast. And that is, uh, Al-Anon, as you know, is mainly comprised of Women folk, as they call it in the uh, in, in the big book, right? Obviously, you're not a woman folk in that initial group. Where there was it mainly women? Did that cause any sort of challenges with your wife? I don't know where she was at this point, but uh, just talk about your experience yep. as being a a man in Al-Anon. Actually, that group that we
1: were working the steps, I was the only man in that group. Yeah. The meetings that I go to now, we're, we're seeing a higher proportion of of men, at least in the, in the southeast Michigan, Ann Arbor area, in the Al-Anon program. And sometimes I'll sit at a table and we have that most of our meetings are like there you sit around a table with like eight or ten people at a table and there's several tables each sort of doing their own little meeting. So I'll sit sometimes I'll sit at a table and there's more men than women. It's kind of interesting. A yeah. lot of the men in the program are what we often refer to as double winners, which okay, means that they're you, got they're in AA. But I, I came to understand that just about anybody who qualifies for Alcoholics Anonymous probably has friends or relatives who are alcoholics. Right, right. And their lives may be affected by those friends and relatives, right?
0: (laughs) Right, right. And, you know, and I got to tell you, I've, I've found myself really attracted to your show and how you go about things. And I'm thinking... Hmm. Maybe this is telling me something, you know, uh, because it's, uh, I mean, it is, it's very good information. I mean, it's about relationships and about how to deal with people and kind of a, a, you know, a different twist on it. And, uh, I've really enjoyed it, but nonetheless, I want to talk about you. So your experience being a man. So one of the things is it's hard to find a
1: sponsor. Ah, yeah. Yeah. There aren't a lot of men and a lot of the men, don't stick around so long. Mm -hmm. And so finding somebody who's got the experience to be an effective sponsor is difficult. And and the guys that are there get a little overloaded. Right. And so that's, that's an issue. And one of my sponsors for a while was a woman and, and, you know, she was about my age, which is definitely at that point, upwards of 50. And there was no kind of, what uh, romantic or sexual attraction there at all. Right. And, but she had a lot of experience in the program and, and she was dealing with a spouse who was alcoholic. And when she spoke in meetings, I, I heard it, you know, it's like you look for somebody who's got what you want. You look for somebody who says things that you connect with. And I said, mm-hmm. can you be my sponsor? And, 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 and she was for several years. And then, my situation shifted. I was at that point started to sponsor a bunch of guys who were double winners, and I wanted somebody who could help me understand how that worked. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I got a new sponsor who was a guy at that point, and then he moved away, and it's a whole long story. But uh, so, so being a being a man in the program that is is, it's not hard. There's just some issues, and uh, I, I'm again doing a step study group. And I'm the only guy in the group. It's just how it happens to work out. Uh, Another group that I had was more evenly balanced. We ended up in that group. We got down to like four people and there's two of us were guys, two were women. Mm -hmm. So yes, often a lot more women than men. It's true.
0: So back to the third step then. So you're, you were going through this process with this group of 12 people or whatever it was. Go ahead. So answering those questions, sort of
1: made me look at my life, made me look at what was happening. And I started to see these God moments, these places where, hey, I wasn't angry today. How'd that happen, right? Mm-hmm. I started to hear this this voice, this little still small voice, as we say sometimes, saying things to me that, we're not my thoughts. A a, a story here, maybe make it a little clearer. So my wife, when she came out of the residential program and she was clean and sober for the first time in a long time, she did manage to not drink while she was pregnant, which I don't know how she did that, but she did. But then, then then it was downhill after that. And uh, so she comes out and, we had been married what eighteen years at that point, I think is that right? Something like that and so
0: is this around two thousand two This 2003? is in two
1: thousand and two. this is late two thousand and two okay and we had these what we called hippie wedding bands. they were gold with the opal inlay, and they the opal kept cracking and falling out and and they weren't they weren't holding up real well and we thought well let's let's get adult wedding bands right <laughs> so we went to a local jeweler who was like made his own stuff and she found a ring she really liked. And it was, I don't know, let's say $5,000. And I was like, that's too much. And she wasn't happy with me saying that. Right. She really liked this ring. I'm like, we can't afford it. And I don't know, maybe it was a day or two later. I'm walking down the street and this voice in my head says, this is really important to her. You should get it. Okay. That wasn't me. Right. Okay. That was me being open to the voice of a higher power that was guiding me towards a more, you know, serene life or something, right? A, a better relationship. As it happens, we went to another jeweler. We found one that was very similar that was half the price. Okay. So I started to see these, you could call them coincidences, you could call them God moments. And I started to see that if, if I opened up and listened, I would get guidance. Right. Okay. And it was still up to me to follow it because that's the way we are. Mm -hmm. We have free will. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not, but we have it.
0: (laughs) Right. Right. So listening to that still, small, quiet voice within. Mm-hmm. That takes practice, right? And it does. uh And that's what prayer
1: and meditation are about. That's right. That's right. Is opening up to to hear.
0: And sometimes God choices God's ways are not our ways. He's nope. not as quote pragmatic as I am. <laughs> so you got so you got a little taste of God in your life yeah. by listening to that still, small, yep. quiet voice. Uh, do you remember actually doing, uh, I, I don't know how is done in Al-Anon, I know in in AA, uh, most of the time it's a turn into page 63, you open up the book, get on your knees with your sponsor, whatever the case may be, and you do the third step prayer. Is it done the same way in Al-Anon?
1: Some people do that. Um, that was not my experience. My experience was a, a much more gradual you know, coming to coming to a decision and then taking it back and letting it go and taking it back and letting it go.
0: Right. Uh, <laughs> I understand that.
1: There was a point in, in my life where I was saying that every morning, but it came later. Um, let me think. So, here we are, 2002. Oh, the other thing that, that happened in 2002, and this I believe is not a coincidence, uh, is I went back to church. I went back to the the faith that I had been raised in as a child.
0: Okay. When did you leave it as a child?
1: When I graduated high school, basically. I went off to college. When I was a child, a teen, in in my church community at home, we never saw the inside of the sanctuary during services. We never we're in with the adults. I had no idea what happened in there except like, you know, some guy standing up front talking, right? <laughs> right. So a little bit of singing. For me, especially as a teenager, church was about fellowship. It was about hanging out with kids my age that we had similar beliefs and playing music, just talking. And so I didn't know what it meant to be an adult in a church—I had no idea, so I didn't see any value, and and so I didn't go. And then we, you know, fast forward thirty years, more or less, and I came back. I walked into the the church here, and just out of curiosity, were you by yourself? Were you with your wife? I think I think she actually started going before me, huh. and sort of convinced me to come my memory is I walked in and immediately felt at home and found that here is this thing that I didn't know I was missing. Okay. Like I said, I, I, this is not a coincidence in my, in my mind that, that I found the church and I found Al-Anon within months of each other. And I'm, I'm actually not sure which one came first, Mm -hmm. Uh, but they really
0: meshed, and and supported yeah. each other. Right. They dovetailed and they have their their dovetailed. specific purposes, right? And, and I want to ask you a little bit about that because I have heard you talk about. I have heard you made references to the church that you go to and some of the things you've learned to learned on your podcast. See, I actually am really listening. I'm not just saying. It. <laughs> and uh, so, and so we have a we have we have some similarities there. And what I mean by that is, I got I got sober, and then my sponsor actually, he was going to church, and he didn't press it, but about after, I don't know, nine months or a year or something like that, I started asking him questions about that, and I started going to church, and I thought, oh, wow, you know, I've been missing something. This is really good, but the piece that I really wanted to, to focus on with you, just because of time here, is that uh, we, I, I've heard you talk about actually leading middle schoolers and that's what i do at my church and it's been an absolutely fantastic it's so weird sometimes i look up i go i cannot even believe i am doing this how did i get from point a to point b mm-hmm. i was not interested in this so talk about whatever you've learned at church and maybe possibly the with the middle schoolers or anything else one
1: of the things that happened is is my kids turned 13 i have twins so they mm-hmm. turned 13 at the same time right and i was like oh god i'm going to have teenagers <laughs> and a year later i was like wow i have teenagers <laughs> i discovered that i actually like teenagers
0: yeah me too that's what i discovered right
1: and so i started working first with the actually with the high school group 9 through 12 grades for several years and then started working with that same age group but in a larger region, a sort of uh, Michigan, Indiana, a little bit of Ohio, Kentucky region. Mm-hmm. And we would plan weekend conferences for the high school. Actually, the, the it was a youth-led committee. They planned the conferences. The adults were there to sort of provide support and, and guidance. Mm-hmm. That was really, uh, what's the word I want? Fulfilling. Mm-hmm. And then we'd go to these conferences, and you got maybe – between sixty and hundred people, you know, locked in a church for a weekend, doing workshops and worship and stuff like that and and all of it led by the youth. It was so powerful. Mm-hmm. And then in the last couple of years, I started working with the seventh grade kids because, you know, they needed a teacher and the, the people who were leading the class at that point were like, Hey Spencer, we think you'd be great for this. Why don't you come check it out? And and I was like, Yeah, seventh graders. I don't know if I can, you know, do seventh graders. We'll see. Well, it turns out it can. <laughs> right. It's a challenge. <laughs> right. It's a really interesting age.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, it is. It's incredible how much they know though, but oh my God, and at yeah. the same time what they're going through. And it, and the interesting part to me is I figured out that what they're struggling with. Uh, is really what I'm struggling with at an adult level. They just have different names and places. And hmm. I, I mean, but they're struggling with relationships and how to fit in and being liked and the whole nine yards, right? Uh, true. We, anyway, I'll, I'll let you go ahead. Uh, so you started working with the seventh graders.
1: Yep. And, and I've been doing that for a couple of years and I'll be doing it again next year. We go on break in the summer and we don't have religious education in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, at least not for that age group. There's something to keep the, the younger kids occupied while the rest of us are sitting there listening to the boring guy up front talk, you
0: know? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Which, not so boring to you know, once you're an adult, right? Right. And I don't know if you had this experience or not, but every time I would go to a church, I'd think, oh, that person's an alcoholic or an Al-Anon or something <laughs> like that. I mean, l- listen, there's a, and it turns out that these principles have been around for years, and uh, they're not alcoholic. They're not Al-Anon. They're yep. just... They've been trying, they had some sort of idea of which direction to go way before I did.
1: Yep. Also, I feel that working with teens is part of my amends to my own children. Mm. You know, I can't give them back the time when I was rageful. I can't give that back to them, but I can yeah. pay it forward to somebody else's kids. Right. To right. be. An adult with whom they can have a direct relationship, a a respectful relationship. And there have been a few kids who have really needed that. Mm -hmm. You know, there was one kid who started coming to the high school group by himself. His family was not part of our church. Mm -hmm. But he needed that community. He needed that place where he could be himself and and we could talk about matters of I'm gonna say matters of spirit, matters of soul, which you don't get that like at school. You don't get that hanging with your friends at the mall. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is a place where we can talk about these things that they really matter. Right. I still see him occasionally. I was in fact last week I was running a race and he said, Hey Spence. I'm like, oh hey, how you doing? You know, he didn't. He didn't even live in town anymore. But he he was back for something, and 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 he was running the race. And and you know, we shared a moment because right. we still had that connection that we had built when he was.
0: I won't say an angry teenager, but he definitely had some acting out. Right. Yes, you're right. And you know, it's interesting when I go back and I think about the people that were nice to me or just kind to me when I was uh when I was a teen and even in elementary and junior high those faces still stand out to me and I people I appreciate those people investing their time with me so
1: let's let's forward through a, a couple more years of my story here you know I worked through the steps I did the fourth step I did the fifth step I did that inventory that had so scared me that I was one of the reasons I didn't want to come in the program I did it and I found the power in it. I found the power in admitting my faults and in owning them and being ready to ask a higher power to, to help me change. Step six and seven, I started making amends. At this point, my wife's drinking again, that residential program. I think she was sober for about eight months and then she relapsed. And so that's part of the story. You know, she relapsed and I, I had a backslid. I I slipped. I did some crazy things. I actually forced her back into that residential program for another month. Mm. And she came out and she drank the night she came out. And that put the nail in my controlling. Like, it was very clear that I had no control. And that's the last time I actually tried to force her into anything about recovery. But what what I knew at that point was... I recognized what was happening and I stepped up my meetings. You know, Al-Anons, we're kind of more laid back. We might go to one or two meetings a week, especially when things are going well. I I ramped it up to like five and I probably could have gone to more, except like there wasn't one one night. Weren't any on Saturday evening or something. Anyway, I kept working my program. I was not ready to make amends to her. At that point, this is one of those things like, you know, step eight says, became ready to make amends to them all well. I was not ready to make amends to her. I knew I needed to, right? but I wasn't going to do it while she was still drinking. Right. That, that sat with me for a while. It did. Got to steps 10, 11, 12. I love those steps. They were where I want to live, right? Mm -hmm. I want to clean up my messes as soon as they happen. There is such... A relief in doing that, right? I make a mistake, I admit it, I do what I can to to make amends, to fix whatever, or to change so that maybe it doesn't happen again. And it doesn't sit on me anymore. Right? Right. Ah, it's a beautiful step. You know, step eleven, I work on that. <laughs> Uh, my prayer and meditation is is spotty. Uh, that That's the step that, that I, I need to live in better, and, and I, you know, I work on it. Mm-hmm. And step 12, well, the podcast is part of carrying the message, right? Mm-hmm. Going to meetings and sitting at first step table, sharing my experience, strength, and hope with somebody who has come in and is, is you know, sobbing because they don't know what to do.
0: So let me just ask you there real quick. So you say a first step step table. So, uh, and you know, different parts of the country do it in different ways. And I have actually been to meetings in Michigan before and I've seen the setup there and I know what you're talking about, but do they have different topics at different tables there? It
1: depends on the meeting. Okay. Tradition for like every meeting runs the way that they run as long as they follow the traditions. Correct. So one of the meetings that I go to, it started as a step meeting. So every week is a step and both tables, unless, unless there's a newcomer, if there's a newcomer. One of the tables does first step, but otherwise,
0: you know, this week is step five. Next week is step six, et cetera. So. So let me make sure I stop you there, just so I understand. Because it sounds like an interesting setup. So, like for example, step one would be uh, this you know January. Step two is February, whatever. But if they determine before the meeting starts that there is a somebody there for the first time, yep. they will dedicate one of the four tables specifically to step one. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah, and
0: and we always ask. At that meeting, we ask, "Is there anybody new to
1: the program?" And people usually will say yes. Sometimes I think they don't. Right. And if somebody identifies themselves as new, we give them a newcomer packet, which has a, information about the program, a list of meetings, etc. And then, in that particular meeting, we do for we we talk about the first step, which means we read from our our version of the big book. It's, the book is called How Al-Anon Works. And yeah. it's like the, it's like the big book. It's structured very similarly with the steps and, and principles of the program. And then in the back there's individual stories. So I, I think somebody was following a model, just like you were following my, my, my podcast model, right? <laughs> we'll read step one from one of our books, depending which meeting I'm at. Um, it, it's two different books that we use at the two different meetings And then basically people will typically share a little bit of their, their story. And hopefully the newcomer resonates with one or more of what people have said. Sometimes the person who's there for the first meeting will share. Sometimes they'll just like, you know, burst right out at the beginning. Sometimes they'll wait till the end. Sometimes they don't want to, and that's okay. The meeting that I started at is a different format. It's, it's a, One big circle, actually, now there's enough people, there's like two circles of chairs around the Mm -hmm. room, uh, and there might be 60 to 100 people at that meeting. It's a speaker lead, so somebody gives like a 10-minute lead on a topic of their choice. Sometimes the meeting prescribes a step that sort of the group conscience decides every year, are we going to like do the steps this year? (sighs) In that particular meeting, it has a newcomers meeting after the big meeting. So uh-huh. that's a service position for that, for that group that somebody will set up a, some chairs in a circle in a corner of the room and anybody who is new ish can come in. The, and, and that is a conversational thing. So people, because people come in with questions and right. most of the meetings I go to are not crosstalk meetings. So, yeah. you know, you can't ask a question, and get a response if, if you, if, the, if there's no crosstalk. Um, but so that little circle does have back and forth. People can ask questions, learn more about the program. And sometimes people would come to that for, for several weeks or, or months as they're trying to learn more about how this program works means what it means to them.
0: Right. Right.
1: Because it's not obvious to a lot of us why we're at an element. I mean, it was obvious to me, but some people are come in and they're, they're really not sure why they're there. You right. Know, they don't maybe have an active alcoholic in their life. Maybe they left their boyfriend or their girlfriend, or maybe there was alcoholism in their family growing up, but they don't live there anymore. But, you know, something's still not right in their life, and somehow they end up in an Al-Anon meeting.
0: Right, right. So I want to go back to your uh, – your just real quickly before yeah. we wrap up your, your wife, because I've heard yeah. you talk about her. Right. Did she, she eventually – get the hang of it, so to speak.
1: So here, here we are. I've, I'm working the program. I've got the steps. I've got the serenity occasionally. That was something I thought I would never have. And I had it. Meanwhile, she's still finding her bottom. Mm -hmm. But what al gave me in that time was the tools to, to be with her because I still loved her. I didn't yeah. want to leave. I just, at the beginning, I had no idea how it was possible for me to continue to live in this situation, but I didn't want to leave. Mm-hmm. And it took me a couple of years to to, to really figure that out, to under, to to come to a place where I could say, yes, I can. I want to, and I can stay. Right. That's not the place that, that a lot of people get to when they're living with an alcoholic. A lot of people get to the I'm leaving place. Right. And, and I understand that. <laughs> you know, I do. Yeah. Not my story. So she's continuing to go downhill and I don't know what the end game is. All right. What's on the other side? I do know that if she continues to drink where you end up at death, you know, if you can't stop, right? Mm. When that would happen. I don't know if that would happen. I don't know. But I, I had my place to stand that al had given me. I had a center. I had a higher power that supported me. I had friends in the program that supported me. Mm. And so I could be there as a support rather than as a fixer, an enabler, a caretaker, just as a support. And there came a day where she said she woke up in the morning and she said, I don't want to drink today and I don't want to drink tomorrow. And will you help me get rid of all the alcohol in the house? Mm-hmm. And I said, sure. Not knowing, like, was this going to take? But what I understand about that is that she decided that she wanted, and she had that moment of clarity, you know, that that that, that comes if, for the lucky ones, I guess, mm-hmm. where she could say that. and And she did it for herself. You know, she wasn't doing it for me. She wasn't doing it for the kids. She was doing it for herself. And I think that is part of the difference. But, you know, she found a bottom. And and that day didn't look different from the day before to me, but for her it was. That was 2005. And, you know, it, I say we're still putting our, our relationship back together. and And I think sometimes I have to step back and look at where we are. And say, oh, actually, yeah, we're a lot further along than I thought we were. Because this stuff happens gradually and you don't notice it. But we each work our program. And that has given us the ability to rebuild our relationship stronger than it ever was, really. Because it always had alcohol in it before. Um, She's had, what, let me think, 12 and a half years of continuous sobriety. I couldn't do it without the program, you know, Uh,
0: I, I understand
1: without the tools like the inventory. I mean, that thing, that inventory thing that scared me so much when I was coming into the program has turned out to be one of the best tools that I have in my, you know, spiritual toolbox, because I can, when something goes weird, when something goes wrong, I can step back and I, and I have this process like, you know, the first nine steps are the program, right? The first nine steps are the work. And, and then the last three steps are keep it going. So I look at, Oh, I did this thing. Okay. I'm powerless over the fact that I did this thing. Step one, step two, there is help available and I can ask for it in step three. I can look at in detail what happened. So, you know, I had a, Uh, sort of a snippy conversation with somebody. And after the fact, I realize, or maybe somebody points out to me, hey, you know, like, that wasn't very respectful. I'm like, oh, okay, so what was going on? What was going on in me at that time? And I can do that. And sometimes this whole thing takes like two minutes, and sometimes it can take a couple of years in, in the case of one thing. But I can look at it. And then there's that that step five, that admitting it out loud to somebody. So powerful. Right? We're only as sick as our secrets. In step six and seven, I own the fact that I did it and I asked for help. And if I need to make amends, I can do that. And and I can do this whole thing. Like I said, I can do this whole thing in five minutes sometimes. But it's, it's such a powerful set of tools for keeping my life straight for keeping my relationships straight. And so, yeah, so we, we've been together 38 years now, almost yeah. married for 34. The first 25 years of those, the first 25 years had alcohol.
0: You had to relearn things for sure.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and that's, that's where that, that, foolish notion I had that all she had to do was stop drinking and everything would be fine. That's where that shows up. Like, yeah, no, it's work. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's work, but I have the tools to do it and I have the help to do it. We each have the help, the support of a loving higher power. You know, I, I sponsor a bunch of guys who are double winners and one of them, I remember having this conversation about step three with him because he was really struggling with letting the care of his loved one to God. I said, you did step three in AA. Don't you trust your higher power to take care of you? And he said, yeah, but I don't trust my higher power to take care of her. I'm like, well, that's this is the work we have to do for step three for you. You know? But having that, having that is what, you know, enables us to do this thing.
0: I agree. This, that's very well said, Mr. Spencer T. Well, listen, I, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, maybe at some other time. And I know you know how to do deep dives on particular conversations because I've heard you do it over and over on uh, on your podcast. Maybe we could take a, uh, a deep dive into some sort of topic, if you will. And keep our dialogue going. The dialogue between Texas and Michigan <laughs> Good Dialogue. So, Keep in mind, folks, we welcome your thoughts and feedback. Please contact us at feedback at Soberspeak.com. And usually I go ahead and read the uh, big book. So I'm going to go ahead and do that now. At the end, it says, Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. If you want to contact Spencer, you can just go to his website or come to mine and send an email and I will get you in contact with him. Once again, Mr. Spencer, I sure do appreciate you being on the program. God bless you and yours up there in Michigan. Thank you.